This is The Nexus, and I am Art Swift. It's our 10th episode, and my special guest is Congressman Jim McGovern of Massachusetts, a 22-year member of the House of Representatives, the chairman of the House Rules Committee, and a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He will be delivering a major address on human rights at American University this Monday, and we'll have a preview. Also, the case for impeaching President Trump. And now, the nexus. Jim McGovern is a United States congressman from Massachusetts and a member of the Democratic Party. He is the chairman of the House Rules Committee and was elected to Congress in 1996. During his tenure in the House, he has championed a number of issues, from expanding transportation programs to greater nutrition initiatives, and he is a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. But perhaps his greatest passion is in the field of advocating for human rights worldwide, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Representative McGovern, welcome to the Nexus. Happy to be with you. It is a pleasure to speak with you today. I would like to start with your efforts to stop arms sales to Saudi Arabia. Could you get into the dynamics of why you were doing that and what is the progress of this push in Congress? Well, well, first of all, I I believe that if the United States stands for anything, we ought to stand out loud and four square for human rights. I believe that human rights ought to be a centerpiece of our foreign policy. And, um, and, and in Saudi Arabia, um, we have seen a government that has uh, stood for everything but human rights. I mean, it, it, we, we, we saw a Washington Post journalist who was murdered at a consulate, Saudi consulate in, in Turkey, who was then dismembered, and we don't know what happened to his remains. Uh, we, we've seen the Saudis arrest, uh, you know, people, um, you know, in their country who, uh, have opposing political views or who have views that are contrary to what the ruling party likes, thrown in jail, subject to lashes. We've seen the Saudi uh, government uh, launch a barbaric war in Yemen where they're dropping bombs uh, on uh, school buses and weddings and funerals. I mean, by by, account, by the accounts of every major international human rights organization, it's one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world. And yet... Um, here uh, in the United States, it's kind of business as usual. We continue to, you know, uh, deal with them as if nothing is wrong, and we continue to sell them arms and weapons. And I think that's just wrong. Uh, so, I mean, I've, I've led an effort to uh, to basically oppose any future arms sales to Saudi Arabia. That, uh, that ought to come to an end. Uh, and um, you know, I had a, I have a bill that would uh, would would outright prohibit all U.S. arms sales and security assistance to Saudi Saudi Arabia, and I've supported efforts on the defense bills and the appropriation bills, which would also limit uh, 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 military equipment going to Saudi Arabia. I just think, as a matter of who we are, uh, there ought to be kind of a line drawn in the sand that when countries behave in such a horrific way, there ought to be a consequence. And in this case, uh, it ought to be no more arms to Saudi Arabia. How is how are the efforts in Congress going? Is where's the bill at and all of that? Well, you know, I mean, the bill is uh, you know is is still pending, um, but we we have um, thirty one bipartisan co sponsors. It's the strongest bill out there on Saudi Arabia. Uh, but you know, we also took action uh, in uh, like the Senate did to uh, to basically uh, pass resolutions and bills and amendments to suspend U.S. arms sales to Saudi Arabia. Uh, passed the House and passed the Senate, and then the President vetoed them. 
so I mean we we're going to continue to uh, to to move in that direction. Uh, but here's here's the challenge. I mean, um, you know, it is always difficult to maintain focus on one subject matter in this country for more than you know a short period of time. Uh, and with this president in particular, he has this ability to kind of suck all the oxygen out of the air and have us talking about you know crazy tweets and not about policy. Uh, so it's, it's been hard to try to kind of keep the focus uh, on some of these issues like Saudi Arabia. Uh, but we need to do that. And, uh, and I'm confident that at the end of the day, uh, Saudi Arabia will see that there is a consequence. And again, already, I mean, we have bipartisan you know majorities in both the House and Senate that have voted to restrict, uh, you know, arms sales to Saudi Arabia in one fashion or another, not as not as comprehensive as the bill that I have, uh, but um, but uh, but I think we're going we're to get there, and it may take a different president who will sign these things into law. But look, this isn't about the people of Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, the fact is they have a rotten government. Uh, it's about them, and um, and I, you know, and we have a cozy relationship between. President Trump and Jared Kushner and others in this administration and MBS in Saudi Arabia. And I think that is one of the reasons why they're reluctant to take any action. But given their record on human rights uh, to not act, to not speak out, to not um, indicate that there's a consequence to those actions means you're complicit. And I don't think we should be complicit in, uh, in the human rights violations of Saudi Arabia. Now, I know obviously you're not speaking for and are not aligned with President Trump in this kind of a policy debate, but is his standpoint this is just a monetary thing that we'd be we're making money as the United States? What what why would he persist with this? Well, I think it is about money and and maybe vanity. I mean, when he his first visit was to Saudi Arabia, and they had a you know a gigantic you know. Uh, picture of him hanging off some big building when he when he when he entered the country i think maybe he liked all the flattery that they 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 bestowed upon him but here's the deal and it's not just with saudi arabia but this administration um seems to be reluctant to even mention the words human rights i mean whether it's you know saudi arabia whether it's china whether it's in North Korea or, I mean, I, I, you know, even Russia or whatever, I mean, human rights are never part of his vocabulary. He doesn't talk about that. Um, it is mostly monetary uh, matters. It's business matters. It's, you know, uh, I mean, he, you know, I, I you know, on, uh, on the uh, arms sales to Saudi Arabia, he's talked about all the jobs created in the defense uh, field as a result of our weapons uh, sales to Saudi Arabia. He doesn't want to lose those jobs. Well, you know, I mean, to, to not recognize that, you know, uh, our our interest has to be more than just jobs in the, the, the defense industry, that there is, you know, there is a, a moral obligation for this country to actually care about human rights, and you know, is, is really sad uh, because I... I feel like we're, we're going in the wrong direction. And look, the, the human rights record of the United States uh, has not been perfect, and I'm the first to admit it. Um, but, you know, all of us who, you know, believe in human rights and that there ought to be a centerpiece of our policy have an obligation to continue to raise these issues. And we need to be better here in the United States. And, you know, we should demand that countries around the world be better. And one of the ways that we can influence other countries around the world is by standing up strongly and clearly 
uh, and making it clear that human rights matters. And if human rights are violated, there'll be a consequence. Uh, and in this case, with Saudi Arabia, the consequence ought to be uh, we ought to cease all military arms sales to that country. Understood. Um, another obvious hot spot is China. What is the latest with human rights in Xinjiang province in China? And, and what should the U.S. do if China cracks down hard on the protesters in Hong Kong? Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. The situation um, in China with regard to human rights has, has gotten worse. It's going in the wrong direction. And, um, and again, so much of what our administration is focused on is trade deals and business deals and these issues of human rights aren't even being raised. But in Xinjiang, I mean, you know, it's estimated that the Chinese government has locked up over one million Uyghurs uh, uh, in mass internment camps. And um, then we're told that outside these Chinese outside these camps, the Chinese government has created an open air prison surveillance system to, wow. to monitor and st- strengthen its control over the over the Uyghur people. So, you know, I have advocated and others that, that have advocated that the Trump administration impose global Magnitsky sanctions on Chinese officials who have committed, you know, ongoing and uh, systematic human rights abuses in Xinjiang. Uh, again, the, the Chinese government will continue to do it if they feel there's no consequence or if they think the only consequence is going to be maybe a bad press release or a bad story. Uh, but, uh, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, we ought to impose global Magnitsky sanctions on these officials who are responsible for the policy. And, and the Con- Commerce Department should also expand its uh, entity list to block Chinese companies uh, that, uh, that, have, uh, that uh, are providing technology or training or equipment uh, used in mass detentions and surveillance, and um, you know we've uh, you know we've we've sent appeals to the administration with uh, uh, along with others other of my colleagues to the administration on this matter. We up to this point we've had nothing but radio silence, but um, you know this is a major human rights atrocity that is occurring, and uh, more attention needs to be brought to it, and uh, we need to make sure that. Uh, you know, the Congress, if not the White House, is is, uh, is talking about this and legislating accordingly. And how does this compare to the Saudi situation? Obviously, you outlined very clearly that the Trump administration doesn't seem to care about the situation in Saudi Arabia and its business as usual and, and whatnot. Is that the same mentality in China or do they do they have more empathy for what's going on there as far as you can tell? Yeah, I, I, I just don't sense. And again, as I told you, I, I co-chair the, I co-chair the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission as well. I just don't sense that human rights is a focus, whether it's Saudi Arabia or whether it's China. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, and, and I, you know, I would like to see the Trump administration be more forceful, you know, when it comes to U.S. companies that are doing business with China to make sure that some of their, you know, the products that they obtain you know, and, and producing whatever they produce, you know, that it's not produced by, you know, forced labor, you know, in Xinjiang. I mean, we, we, we need to, you know, we, we can play a major role in trying to hopefully influence the Chinese government's behavior uh, when it comes to uh, their treatment of the Uyghurs. It's, and it's not just the Uyghurs, it's the Tibetans. It's, I go right down the, the list of, of groups that are being persecuted. Uh, but I, I think I think China has figured out that, you know, that when it comes to human rights, they could probably do whatever the hell they want, and 
they're not, there's not going to be a consequence uh, as a result. Um, and I think we're trying to change that calculation. But what's ha- what's happening in Xinjiang, especially with the uh, with the Uyghurs and uh, um, you know and other uh, Turkic Muslims, is uh, is unconscionable. Uh, and um, you know, and and this administration ought to make it more of a priority. And quite frankly, Congress needs to do more on that as well. Do you see in any kind of sense a, an end to the strife that's going on in Hong Kong, or is that going to be an ongoing, open ended? Well, so uh, I have to tell you, I'm inspired by the protesters in Hong Kong. Um, I mean, you know, young and old alike, uh, who have taken to the streets, uh, knowing full well that mainland China, Beijing, is monitoring all those who were involved uh, in these protests, but they're. They're taking to the streets because they, you know, want to protect uh, their freedoms. They want to, they want, they want uh, to, you know, have a direct impact on who rules them. They want uh, uh, who who governs them. Uh, they want to, um, they want an investigation of of uh, the police uh, uh, atrocities against the protesters. Um, they want this crazy uh, and uh, ridiculous extradition. Uh, agreement uh, pulled uh, so that uh, they're not subject to arbitrary extradition to uh, to Beijing uh, because of their activities. I mean, uh, you know, they they want to they want to they want Hong Kong and they want Beijing to live up to the you know one country two state agreement um, that occurred when uh, you know when uh, when the when Britain um, you know moved out of out, out of Hong Kong. So I, I mean, I think, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very hopeful uh, that uh, the activism uh, will continue, and my hope is, is that that will change uh, the minds of some of those in government, maybe even the way people in government are 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 are, are selected. So, um, but again, I mean, uh, it is important that the United States and the rest of the world uh, stand with the protesters in Hong Kong because. To not do that would indicate that it doesn't matter, that we don't care. That would be a, a green light for Beijing to, to meddle even more or, or, or perhaps to, to do something even more repressive, and, and we want to prevent that. So I, am, um, I, I'm, I stand with the protesters, and I, I, I'm inspired by their courage and by their dedication. Uh, and what, they're, what, what this is all about is human rights. I mean, that's, what, that's what's at the centerpiece here, and, uh, and we ought to be on their side. Understood. Um, I'd like to pivot to the situation in Syria. Uh, what efforts are happening in the wake of the final offensive there to protect civilians stuck in Idlib? And should we help the Assad regime deal with internally displaced people? Well, look, um, you know, back in, I think it was 2011, uh, I was when this whole war started. I think nobody expected it to last as long uh, and to escalate so much, uh, we just did a uh, hearing in the Atlantis Human Rights Commission this morning, and um, on this very subject on the humanitarian crisis in Syria. Uh, and again, it's 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 unconscionable. Um, you know, Syria is no longer on the front pages like it once was, uh, but uh, the world community, I think, has an obligation not to turn its back on on the suffering of the Syrian people. And um, you know, uh, you know, we. I mentioned this hearing we did. We heard we had many recommendations 
from people, but uh, different organizations that are providing humanitarian assistance. But they made it clear that it's important for us to, you know, to scale up our funding uh, for humanitarian assistance. You know, uh, to, to not only help those who were displaced, but to help those who are in refugee camps, and, al- and also to do more to, in the in area of removal of unexploded ordnance, which is a huge problem. And so, um, you know, we've been doing a lot, but we need we need to do more. Um, you know, they they urged us that we need to speak out more clearly in support of inter- international human humanitarian law, and to denounce the violations, uh, you know, uh, of human rights wherever we see them, where they occur. Uh, they've, they've urged us that the United States should do more to, on our part to accept Syrian refugees. I mean, the, the Trump administration has said that they may accept nobody next year. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of contradictory on one hand to expect others in the world to do their part to help deal with uh, people fleeing war. Um, it's uh, And then on the other hand, for us to say we don't want anybody. Um, you know, we have a large and active Syrian American community here who are more more than willing to uh, to take them, and we need to deliver humanitarian aid in a neutral uh, way. And that means that um, you know we don't pick and choose um, you know which civilians get it you know based on who might be in control of a particular area. Uh, and um, it means that humanitarian aid needs to go to people who are suffering. Uh, and um, and I also, you know, uh, believe that we need a, you know, a, a diplomatic solution here, uh, one in which uh, we ask all outside uh, meddlers, um, I'm thinking of Russia in particular, you know, to, uh, you know, to l- let the Syrian people decide their future mm-hmm. um, and to find a way to bring an end to this conflict. Perfect. Um, I mean, that's, those are um points that we hope that the the administration and, and the global community are are paying close attention to. Um, lastly, I just wanted to do one quick detour into domestic policy. The House Judiciary Committee just passed a resolution defining the rules of the impeachment investigation. There's been a struggle to define the committee's probe. Where do you stand on impeachment at the moment? I'm for it. I mean, I, I this... Uh president um, is the most corrupt uh, president in my lifetime. And um, he, I, I, I mean, I, it's, and, and look, it's not just the, uh, the Russia probe and the, um, you know, the Mueller investigation. It is, I mean, violations of the emoluments clause. It is him making money off of his presidency. Um, it is these, it is encouraging people to break the law in exchange for pardons. It is, I, I may mean, go on and on and on and on. I mean, I, I don't think he's fit to be president. I mean, that's my view. Um, I think it's important that we have a formal impeachment inquiry. Um, and I would like to see this president, you know, removed from office as quickly as possible. Um, if that doesn't happen before the next election, I hope the next election is de- decisive um, and he is gone. Um, I think he has uh, diminished uh, this country in so many ways. Um, uh, and our standing in the world has been diminished and compromised. You know, all my life, I have always uh, had respect for the office of president. And all my life, I've always respected the occupant uh, in the White House, even when they have been people I have strongly disagreed with. Uh, but I, I feel uh, differently now, hmm. uh, candor. I mean, I, I feel embarrassed. I feel ashamed. I feel frightened. Um, you know, we don't know whether we're going to go to war 
you know, uh, one minute or, you know, whether he's going to embrace a dictator the next minute. Um, but uh, the one thing is clear is that I think uh, what's happening here does not represent the best uh, of our country. It's not who we are. You know, I just returned from a trip to the Northern Triangle with Speaker Pelosi, and I've been to the border uh, twice to look at the uh, migrant situation. You know, um, you know, we have basically frozen all assistance to the Northern Triangle countries, uh, and we are not funding anti-gang uh, initiatives. We're not funding uh, shelters that are helping kids who have been trafficked. We're not funding programs to help make sure that pregnant women get the nutrition they need to de deliver healthy babies. Uh, we are we are making a bad situation even worse. And I spent a lot of time in Central America over the years, and we've had a long uh, and checkered history of intervention in that in those in those countries. We've overthrown governments. We've supported brutal militaries that have murdered civilians. We have uh, we, we 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 poured billions in terms of weapons and military assistance. And when the wars were over, we walked away, uh, and we we, de we and instead we deported gang members to these countries. We have a moral obligation there to help try to make things better. And I and I just I look at this administration in there, and and just it's like you know nothing matters uh but what's on the president's mind on a particular day and i think we're losing our opportunity to help make things better for people so they don't feel like they have to migrate to the united states and um and we're turning our backs on refugees who are coming to the united states we're you know we're making a mockery of our asylum laws we're floating uh international law i might go on and on and on so that's a long way of saying i just i want this over um, and I think, uh, you know, I don't care what your politics are, whether you're a liberal or conservative or a moderate. I mean, this cannot be who we are. Uh, and especially in terms of foreign affairs and human rights. I mean, we, we are, we, I believe deep down we're much better than this. I, I know they said that was the last thing I was going to mention, but you said something at the outset, which really struck me, which was, uh, most corrupt president in your lifetime. Presumably, you were living during the Nixon administration. I was. This guy makes Nixon look like an Eagle Scout. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, Nixon did a lot of bad things, and Nixon, in my opinion, was not a good guy. And my last name is McGovern, so I mean, I have a special, uh, you know, uh, negative uh, view of, of Mr. Nixon. But um, I, I, what's happening now? Um, you know, the, 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 the corruption that's happening right in front of our faces, uh, you know, the, um, the way he has abused his position. Um, I mean, we are, the way he has, you know, uh, ignored the will of Congress. I mean, we, we're, we're having a constitutional crisis as well. I just, I don't, I, I don't believe he is fit to be president. And, um, and I feel very strongly about that. So look, I, I'd vote to impeach him yesterday but um you know if that doesn't happen then you know i'm hoping that the american people democrats and republicans independents liberals conservatives all come together and say that you know um you know what's at stake um in the next election is not just the character of donald trump what's at stake is our character who we are what our values are and, um, you know, and again, I don't, uh, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with presidents who I disagree with, but I've always felt that we have a shared set of values and a shared sense of, you know, kind of basic, what's, what, what, uh, you know, what's right or wrong. 
um, and I may disagree with what they have, with what their policies were, but I, I thought that you know that you know they were thinking of this country first, even if they were wrong. I don't feel that way with this guy, and um, it's it's um, and I've you know and I've been to places around the world where people, um, especially human rights defenders, are, are are disappointed. I feel like they've been let down. You know, I mean, they've always viewed the United States as a place where you know, uh, their voice would be echoed, they would be amplified. Um, and now they feel like, you know, they, the United States government doesn't care uh, about their plight, that human rights is not even on the uh, radar screen. I think that that's bad for a whole bunch of reasons. One, it's bad because people are being persecuted and we might be able to, to intervene to stop it. And two, in terms of who we are as a country, I mean, if we're not, if we don't, if we're not about human rights, if that's not what our aspiration is to uphold a high standard of human rights, then I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what this country is anymore. And um, so, um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for change sooner rather than later. Absolutely, uh, Congressman Jim McGovern of Massachusetts is the chairman of the House Rules Committee, and if you were in Washington D.C. area on Monday, September 16th at 6 p.m. The congressman will be headlining an event by giving a major address at his alma mater, American University, at the McDowell Formal Lounge about the topic we've discussed today, human rights. I'll be there, and you should all check it out. Congressman, thank you for joining me in the Nexus. Thank you. You just heard Congressman McGovern passionately say how he wishes he could impeach President Trump yesterday and that he's the most corrupt president of his lifetime, a life that includes President Richard M. Nixon. The congressman is far from the only one in the government who feels this way, and it appears like the House is steadily moving to an investigation and probably full-blown impeachment charges, which may make 2020 rather thorny with hearings, votes, an impeachment, and a nationwide presidential campaign all happening at the same time. The conventional wisdom seems to be that if the House impeaches President Trump, he will be acquitted in the Senate, and then the president can brag that he was innocent all along and he was the victim of the ultimate witch hunt, even worse than the Mueller report. And if this happens, so the thinking goes, Republicans will come out of the woodwork even more so than they did in the 2016 election, to rally around their beleaguered president. Impeaching Trump will be poking a ferocious bear that doesn't need to be poked. At least, that's the prevailing media narrative. But what if impeachment finally puts all the pieces together of the puzzle we've been hearing for nearly three years, and Americans see in stark display the supposed misdeeds of the administration, and in exhaustion finally collectively exclaim, enough is enough, no impeachment, no problem, as the damage is done so bad that even some Republicans cry uncle and say they can't handle four more years of scandal. And how bad can Joe Biden be at this point? At least he's not Obama or Hillary, enough Republicans may say. Swerving into the belly of the impeachment beast may fire up the idealistic Democratic base who is worried that crimes have been committed and are going unpunished. Again, the strategy isn't to elevate Vice President Pence to the Oval Office, but to wound President Trump so much he just staggers out of Washington after Election Day and back to New York, Trump Tower and the likely Trump TV network. 
It seems at this point that the Democrats don't have much to lose with impeachment. It is doubtful that there are many Trump Republicans in reserve that didn't vote the last time. And is anyone paying attention to Trump's 38% approval rating? This is not a strong president, no matter how you slice it. In the history of polling, he is the only president since Franklin Roosevelt to never hit 50%. It's obvious that the Trump train is hoping to strike electoral college magic again, but 38% nationwide means that he is underwater in enough states to deliver the presidency to any Democrat, even Bernie Sanders. Well, maybe not Bernie Sanders, but a well-respected Democrat. Unlike 1998, when the case to impeach President Clinton was dubious, but technically believable, now the question is, how many articles of impeachment do you live in it to? As Congressman McGovern said, there are numerous things to charge President Trump with, and especially the one I don't hear nearly enough about, and that is emoluments. It is clear that Donald Trump is making money off the presidency. The question is, can it be proven as a crime? Depends on how you interpret the Constitution. An impeachment investigation can probe that alone. As Jim McGovern mentioned, we could spend all day going over potential impeachment charges, but it seems like the time is ripe for Democrats to guide the ship into these waters. And that's our show. The Nexus is recorded in Washington and produced by Colin Martin. Production assistance and research by Ian Heald. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share it far and wide. We will see you next time and be well.